0: Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by Tweaked Audio, purveyor of earbuds and headphones. Do you need some new earbuds? Do you need some new headphones? Go to tweakedaudio.com and enter the offer code OTHERPPL and get 33% off of any purchase. Tweakedaudio.com, get some earbuds, get some headphones, enter that offer code OTHERPPL and get 33% off of your purchase. These are earbuds, these are headphones, you can listen to things with them. just one person uh, at just one time hey everybody here right. we go again this <laughs> right. is it this is other people this is an attempted communication this is a mutual exchange between parties how you doing what's going on i'm brad listy i'm in los angeles it's nice to be with you i appreciate it i appreciate you uh listening you know that my guest today is carolina butslaviak her new novel is called the invaders it's available now from reagan arts wonderful talking with carolina we had a really good time I had a really good time I don't know about her you'd have to ask her I think she had a good time I felt like there was some rapport I felt like we made a connection don't forget to sign up for premium this podcast uh, has a premium subscription model so you get 50 episodes for free the most recent 50 episodes for free and then if you want to get access to everything stream the full archives you can get the app this podcast has its own official app. You get that app for free and then you can sign up for premium right there within the app, get access to everything. You can also sign up for a uh, premium online, listen to everything online. It's your call. I would get the app. The app is free. The other people app, get it wherever you get your apps, support the show. That's nice. Hey, I have some mail. I want to read some mail before we get started. Thanks for all the mail. If you guys want to email me, the the, uh, address is letters at otherppl.com. Letters at otherppl.com. So uh, I have a listener named Stefan. He writes to me uh, from time to time. Uh, Today he has this to say. Dear Brad, I have to take issue with a couple of things you said recently, though the show has been mostly great. You said that taking antidepressants, SSRIs, etc., is a bit of a shortcut or something to that effect. I can tell you that when you're in the throes of something like OCD and it cripples your ability to function on a daily basis and you're just miserably exhausted and hopelessly negative for reasons that are not at all rational, those drugs can be a real lifesaver. I think it's a little bit off base to constantly celebrate recreational drugs and then dismiss medications for mental illness. So this is part one of Stefan's letter. I'm going to respond piecemeal here. Uh, First of all, I'm not celebrating recreational drugs. I'm talking about them a lot. I'm making jokes about them sometimes. Perhaps the jokes are too light. I don't mean for it to, uh, you know, be insensitive in that regard or be unknowing. I know how dark drugs can be. Trust me. Recreational drugs. Especially the legal ones, like corporate pharmaceuticals, alcohol, and cigarettes but I don't talk too much about those I'm far more interested in the psychedelics even though I don't take them (laughs) maybe I need to but uh, I'm not celebrating recreational drug use and I'm certainly not celebrating or trying to glorify drug abuse it's dangerous stuff it's a slippery slope it's not the answer there's no answers in it there's just questions and maybe like uh, you know, a really good time I'm not discounting that as a possibility either you can have a really good time on drugs. You can f- fucking die from drugs. That's why I'm interested in them. It's like this uh, this tension of possibilities. And I, I don't dismiss medications for mental illness. Like, look, I can't remember everything I've ever said uh, on this program, and it's possible that I might have said that taking antidepressants um, might be a, a shortcut i would like to know the context i think there are people out there uh who suffer from mental illness for whom these drugs are indeed lifesavers i agree completely but i also think that they're over prescribed it's not all one way it's gray you got to figure it out i mean like do you really need these things if you do take them by all means or are you in like some side, of, you know, some sort of cycle of dependency, where you know you just want to take a pill and hope that it'll solve your problems rather than actually addressing something, doing the work, hoping that a pill can be a shortcut to actually having to dig in. I think that's what I'm getting at, you know. This desire we have for speed and uh, for shortcuts. we try to address our like existential crises and inner selves our suffering but if you're a legi- if you have a legit mental illness and your a medical professional has prescribed you a medication that is uh designed to help alleviate it or help you manage it by all means and be v- and if you're out using drugs recreationally i would just say be very very careful very careful And if you have a problem, get help. Don't hurt yourself. I hope that clarifies it. So Stefan's letter continues. Then, he writes, the other thing that you said, or the other thing was that you said, there's really something to a lot of people thinking good thoughts for you and praying for you. Assuming those things do make a difference, it doesn't seem right to me that you should be able to crowdsource positive thoughts into success or health for yourself. What about the person who doesn't have many friends or family or followers slash listeners who's suffering from some dread disease or has a sick loved one? Are they less likely to get the benefits of positive energy because they don't have as big of a fan base? All best. Love the show. Stefan. So, you know... I get it. I think people who are, uh, you know, sick and lonely and, uh, you know, removed from society, they get prayed for a lot, maybe more so than way more than I, you know, way more than I ever would. That's all, you know, every church, people all the time are praying for the sick and the needy. They might not specifically get their name called out if that's what you're referring to. And, you know, I don't want to oversell it. I don't know if this stuff, I mean, how can you ever possibly know? I just have a hunch that like when people are thinking good thoughts and sending energy, uh, mentally, like I think thoughts are a form of energy. If people are thinking positive thoughts for you in mass, somehow, some way in whatever weird, subtle, uh, way that the universe and, uh, its phenomena are connected that it has, it gets to gets through somehow. And, you know, I think, too, that if if people are thinking positive thoughts for others, that very act alone uh, could have a ripple effect to people, you know, not specified in the thought itself. Meaning, like, if everyone's thinking positive thoughts for you, Stefan, and there's 20 people thinking positive thoughts for you, yeah, maybe you are a beneficiary of that. But I think the other people who might come in contact with those people would benefit from the simple fact that these people are thinking positive thoughts for someone else and are engaging in a... uh compassionate act I don't know man <laughs> it's fucking with my brain I'm not trying to crowdsource positive thoughts it's just like when you're going through some shit and you're like oh please think good thoughts that's it anyway thanks for writing I appreciate it and thanks for listening to the show so let's get to the show shall we my guest once again is Carolina Vaclaviak. Uh, she's an editor over at the Believer magazine and uh, the author of a couple of books, the most recent of which is a novel called The Invaders, critically acclaimed, generating buzz out there now from Reagan Arts. And uh, just an absolute delight to uh, talk with. And I hope you enjoy this one. Here she is, folks. This is Carolina Vaclaviak. Do you ever hear from Beverly Hills?
1: Where that I sounds worked. fancy. It's, it's. I was behind three Bentleys. So Were you? yeah. I've. Every day I see Rolls Royces and Bentleys, and I work next to the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, uh-huh. and I walk by there at lunch, and the collective cost of all the cars there at lunchtime are worth more than my life will ever be worth. It's crazy. It's insane.
0: That's like the Pretty Woman Hotel. Yeah, yeah. It's where Julia Roberts stays in Pretty Woman.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think last week there was a chic staying there so there are all these suvs and all these crazy cars and biden always stays there so yeah biden stays there and then the street is cordoned off and the secret service has to check us and stuff like that it's actually i like it i think it's exciting but we're always looking out the window to see if we're gonna see Biden. It, it's crazy though, because you'll look into these SUVs, and it's like dudes in suits with AK-47s or whatever yeah. assault rifles they have on their lap. And Beverly
0: Hills is so strange to me. It's so
1: strange. It's so because strange to go there every day. Yeah,
0: and I feel like uh, there is a, like a large or a significant contingent of uh, foreign nationals. Yeah like very wealthy foreign nationals yeah. that that's like where they just hide out or have a second home yeah and then you have the the really wealthy foreign tourists
1: yeah well i drive my my route to work is up and down rodeo because the office is what do you rodeo. do i work at a law firm okay uh in music and in film are you a lawyer yeah right. no. oh, <laughs> I. Work... <laughs> I have enough debt to be a lawyer, but not the uh you have bank law account. school debt. yeah, I have law school debt for writing, okay <laughs>
0: uh, but it's like if it's a good like it gets you by.
1: It gets me by. everyone's super nice. Uh, it's like best case scenario.
0: How did you land it? Headhunter. Really? Yeah. Like they, you hired a headhunter, or they found like what a headhunter? How does that work? It well, sounds I severe.
1: Have, I have friends who work in the entertainment industry, and there's headhunters for entertainment jobs. And so when I got back here last January, I hit up a friend, and she put me in touch with this headhunter that only places for law firms. Okay. So I work with two paralegals, and it's been really interesting actually to see the legal side of the business, which I really didn't understand very much of, but being in a, from a, you know, writing background, I don't think anybody talks to you about the business. Uh, and so it's been a really interesting education in terms of like what you should be after in your deals and stuff. What should you
0: be after in your deals? All the money. All All the money. (laughs) You
1: know what? To me, I think it's important to have points, back end points however you can you know and so perhaps i'll take less money up front on a project just to say but i want back-end
0: points have you ever gotten back-end points on anything
1: yeah uh so i co-wrote a project that is coming out next year we finished filming and editing and stuff and is this uh, like
0: a studio film no no it's an indie film an indie film
1: but uh yeah so I was able to, and I have an attorney or whatever, but I was able to know this is what I should be asking for. And I think nobody likes to talk about money or are very open. I I love to talk about it. Yeah. Or deals or like what's standard or what you should push for and maybe you'll get less than that. So I was able to sort of advocate for myself and say, these are the things that I want.
0: And you got them. You drive a hard bargain.
1: I know. <laughs> you have to educate yourself.
0: <laughs> you do. And I think people, uh, you know, it's hard enough just to write the thing. And it can you can be preoccupied, I think, justifiably with the creative part of it. Yeah. But then there's the whole business side of it where, you know, the art and the commerce meet. And if you're not uh, knowledgeable, somebody else probably is. You can get taken advantage yeah. of easily. You right. Know, you sort of owe it to yourself to know that stuff.
1: Yeah. And I think... I come from a place where I just feel lucky to be a part of it or something or I used to feel that way and I think now I'm much more I say no to things which I never used to do before if I think like it's not worth my time before I thought well everything is worth my time because it'll do something for me even if it's takes more time than it's worth Um, and now I've just you know I've become choosier and I've become I guess, uh, some, I don't want to say bitchier, but sort of like, no, yeah, I'm not putting up with What do this.
0: people, uh, what do you mean? Like journalism jobs or screenwriting jobs or all of the above? All
1: of the above. Or even like book stuff. If I, if I feel like, you know, uh, I'm not getting what i put in, then I'm going to make a fuss. And I think we're all told to be nice. And to be like the nice author, you don't want to cause trouble, but you, nobody cares as much as you do. Nobody is ever going to care as much as you do about something. Especially
0: about your project.
1: Exactly. So if you're sitting back and you're saying, well, I think they know what they're doing. It's okay. At the end, it's all on you because your name is on it. And, um, if you haven't advocated for yourself properly, you're the one stuck with what happened. You know, they don't care. They move on to something else.
0: Right. They got their 10% or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So
0: I was thinking, you know, that old saying, like, everybody's the star of their own movie, you know, like, which is commonly, uh, like, like people trot that one out when like they're trying to tell themselves or tell a friend, like, listen, people aren't thinking about you as much as you think they might be everybody. Right. So I was thinking to myself, like everybody's the star of their own movie. And then I was thinking, and in Los Angeles, which is, you know, the epicenter of the movie business, is that even more so?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I hesitate to say everyone's out to screw you, but I think everyone's out for themselves or to get themselves the, the piece they want for themselves. So if you aren't doing that too, and I'm not even saying be a bad person or try to screw other people over or anything like that, but just, you have to stand up for yourself. I think I was talking to a friend in terms of like publicity on books and stuff, books, films, anything. Um, And she was like, Stephen Elliott said the best thing I've ever heard, which is you care more about your book than your publicist cares about her job. Just
0: that's the way, a way it fact. is. Yeah. yeah. So that's I mean, you, you bring up the idea that uh, everyone's sort of out for themselves. It can certainly feel that way. Um, I was reading about. Uh, what was it? A review of the new Noah Baumbach movie, like Mistress America. Oh Yeah. Uh huh. And the reviewer in the in the Times was talking about Bombach's like body of work and how cynical it can be, and how like the creative arts, like the position that it seems to take on the the creative industries, like books, movies, music, whatever, is that they're like flooded, they're over, they're oversaturated. There's too many people fighting for too little pie, which yeah. turns people into assholes because they're sort of like all fighting for the same piece of pie. And I can find myself sensing that, Mm -hmm. you know, there's at least some bit of truth to that idea, however cynical it may be. And it depresses me. I sort of feel like the ills of the world are dependent upon us seeing things as we're all in this together versus it's every man for himself.
1: I agree with you. And I totally don't believe, as much as I say advocate for yourself, I also am a big proponent of helping other people and like pulling, we have to all pull each other up. And so I don't buy this idea there's only so much for everyone. I think especially now there's so many outlets, so many more outlets than there used to be that there's plenty for everyone and stepping over people to get what you want is never going to help you. I find it much more beneficial to yourself if you are helping other people, they'll remember and they'll help you when the time comes. So one hopes. Yeah. And you know what? If they don't, it's fine. You know that you're a good person and you helped. And I think, you know, working at The Believer and uh, working on other people's essays, I ha- take such great joy in like launching people's careers or having amazing things happen to them. Like me being someone who helped them get something amazing, whether it's a book deal from an essay or they've written an essay that's put them on the map and suddenly they're getting much more money for essays at bigger places. To me, that's like, all right, I'm doing something so good for other people. And, you know, sometimes they say, thank you. I have really good relationships with my writers, but I don't need to be at the forefront. You know what I mean? It's like them. I just help them be the best version of themselves and have this essay be the best version of what they could have done and so to i think that's changed my mind about thinking like we're all in this for ourselves because when you've built a community for yourself of helping other artists and artists like reaching out to you and being like hey this thing's come up i can't do it uh do you want to or I put your name up for something I hope you don't mind. I mean, that stuff's real. And I'm a big proponent, too, of women helping women. And I think in some respects, there's this idea. And I've seen it more in Hollywood than maybe in books. And I think it has to do with money and how much money there is here. This idea that there's only so many spaces for women. And so it feels like a bit more cutthroat uh, in terms of, like, we're angling for the same spot. Uh, so we have to be at odds with each other. And I'm not saying everyone is like that, obviously, but I've seen it a teeny bit more. I think there's like more at stake because like I said, there's so much more money at stake than in books. And I just think it's wrong. We and Jill Soloway talks about this all the time. We need to rise up and we can take more than what we've been allotted We don't need to settle for what we've been given, and we need to do it together to make it happen.
0: So, okay. So, there's more outlets than ever. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. You can put up a TV show anywhere. Yeah. You put it up on YouTube. Yeah. Um, So, you've got this media environment, not dissimilar to what happened in music and what happened with books, now happening with film and television. Mm -hmm. And you have people watching on mobile you know, consuming on their iPads or their phones and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, if we agree that there's more outlets than ever to get your work, uh, into people's hands, wouldn't that, that means there's less money, right? Because if, if there's, I mean, because if it's flooded and there's millions of people or not millions, but thousands of people making TV shows, then doesn't it get harder to grab advertising dollars and to actually make a sustainable living from it? Much like what happens with books.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, I feel like the time where you were waiting for someone to give you an opportunity is over. Like, you know, when I lived here before, there was this idea that you write spec scripts and someone will come along and will buy your movie for a million dollars and there you go. And I don't I don't think that's the case anymore. I think now you need to have a built-in audience before anybody will take a risk on you. And so You start by making a YouTube show or something, and then people find you. And, I mean, it's hard to make money as an artist, period. And that's why I have a day job, and that's why other people have day jobs. I don't know what the answer is of how to be a creative person and sustain your life in a creative way. Hopefully, you know, my time is coming that I can do that. But I think you can parlay... The stuff you don't get paid for into big money, or at least a living money. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean uh, if it if it gets if it goes viral, or like you say, if you have an essay that goes up in the believer and tons of people read it, and the right yeah. people, the right people in in media in New yeah. York or wherever read it, then suddenly things can happen.
1: Yeah, well, because everyone's looking for content, and they're looking for good content, so. If you're sitting around and waiting for someone to come around and hopefully one day read your script, it's. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, for, in my experience, it did not happen. So I said, how can I get my stuff out there in another way? What's my workaround? And so I said, I'm going to go write a book uh, and and try to sell it, which is what happened. But then I got an audience. And then suddenly there was interest. So... To me, there's so many different ways to enter the gates, and it doesn't have to be the way we've been told. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, and I think there's such a freedom in understanding that.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, I mean, the barrier to entry is definitely lower. Yeah. But it's harder to get up into these positions where you're you're making money.
1: Right, but no one can stop you from creating. Right. You know? Now, I saw a film, Tangerine, film. Uh, few weeks ago. That's the
0: you? iPhone movie. It was amazing. I didn't see it, but I read about it.
1: It is so good.
0: And it's shot on an iPhone.
1: It's so good. It's as good as any film that's shot. And does it
0: look? Does it look? Yeah. It looks great.
1: It looks great. The story's fantastic. It was amazing because I was watching it, and I felt this sense of nostalgia because... I worked in Hollywood in the late '90s at a needle exchange in that neighborhood.
0: We talked about that yeah, the last time you yeah. were on the show, yeah.
1: And so I'm watching, it and I was like, "Oh my god, I remember that neighborhood so well!" And it's like
0: that's over in—is it over in Hollywood? Where are they filmed? Yeah,
1: uh, Sunset and Highland. It's like era. my old.
0: That's like my old hood.
1: Yeah, and so the city's changing so much, but I took comfort in the fact there's still parts of the city that haven't changed at all. It's
0: a weird part of the city, Hollywood. It is. Hollywood is. I feel like Hollywood, I think there's a, I mean, there's an undercurrent of pain in human in human beings, period. Yeah. I feel like in Los Angeles, particularly because it's so bright and sunny and there's a lot of physical beauty everywhere, there yeah. can be a lot of money. You can be in Beverly Hills and there can be a line of Bentleys in front of you like we were talking about. But then, you know, there's also like a, maybe this uh, palpable undercurrent of sadness too because there are... What do they call it? land of broken dreams. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There are yeah. a lot of people who came here on the bus and showed up with a dream and a suitcase and like yeah. shit just didn't happen. And right. we don't talk about that as much because it's not as pleasant, but it's far more common. Right. And right. it seems to me like Hollywood and uh, the Walk of Stars and just that gritty section right around Sunset in Hollywood and Sunset and Vine. And, you know, it seems to live there. Like nothing, yeah. nothing in this city makes me sadder than the Walk of Stars. Yeah. Like, or the Walk of Fame. whatever. I know.
1: That's called. my my route in the morning. So I see <laughs> so the morning after. And it's so
0: sad. Uh, there's, there's, yeah, there's just something up there. There's a dark energy.
1: Yeah, there's dark energy. And then there's the first blush of tourists yes. walking way too early when things are mostly closed, looking around like, is this really it?
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> I always, I always want to like stop and be like, people, this is not Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, don't come here. Yeah. <laughs> So But yeah, that film to me it's like you don't need tons of money. You don't you can sh- write a script, shoot a film. If now it's you know, you have final cut at home, I'm not saying this stuff is like super cheap, but it's so much cheaper than trying to like get someone to invest millions of dollars in your film. Yeah. No one can stop you from creating anymore.
0: Right. And I think that is And the technology barrier is minimal.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. You have it's, no excuses. You have no excuses. And I think it's interesting when I hear people say, well, it's just not working for me or I'm waiting for someone to let me direct something. It's like, why? You don't have to wait for anyone to let you do anything anymore. Yeah.
0: You don't. And you're doing both. I mean, you like the books, but you're also interested in the film. Yeah. You want to do both.
1: Yeah. I think... Do
0: you want to direct? I... Everybody, I, everybody wants to I direct. Get,
1: yeah. Yeah i mean when i was in film school i directed shorts and stuff and i i uh i like it a lot and me being so controlling because i'm a really you know i i want to be god i mean that's why i write books i want to be god of the world but uh yeah i guess
0: i'm the god of this garage <laughs> the god of this podcast <laughs> um so, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's like I think I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm interested in both. I understand that the barrier is low, but it's just trying to make a living at it or trying to figure out how to get there so that you can get to that point, like survive along the way.
1: I think what I came to realize, too, and was also suffering, and I don't think I learned it until I was in my early 30s, this idea that no one owes you anything is like the best – lesson I've ever learned. Nobody owes you anything. Nobody needs to give you money. You don't deserve to make a living as an artist. This idea that we believe we deserve things because we work hard is utter bullshit to me. I think you're lucky if you can live as a creative person and just subsist off that money. But if that's what's standing in your way from creating, like you're we're never gonna create in the first place. The if fact what's
0: standing in your way?
1: That you can't make a living as an artist. So I have a full time job and then I also edit the believer and I write and I, you know, write films, I write uh books. I could say there's a million reasons why I shouldn't have time, but I make time because I want to do it. When
0: do you make the time?
1: evenings uh or weekends like i don't necessarily have a social life but i've decided you know what i partied in my late 20s
0: (laughs) you're like i haven't been out in seven years (laughs) but i'm getting books done
1: i go out when i feel like it but i also understand that some things are a waste of time
0: right you know what i mean and plus like going to bars or doing like if you've if you've done that you've done that
1: i had so many blackout nights In my late 20s that I don't need to do that I feel
0: the same way. I feel like I got it. I did did it. it. I don't feel like I left anything on the field. Yeah,
1: I doubt it's different now.
0: Yeah. So I did it. It's timeless. The experience is timeless. You can always go back and relive it, but I mean, there's no hurry. Um, And I hear you. I think that's like a really healthy approach, you know, like nobody owes you anything. Um, And just feeling lucky to be able to be even like quasi-creative in your life is an extraordinarily fortunate set of circumstances on this planet. Yeah. You know, To feel like you have that like even as an option. Right. I can forget that. I, there's a part of me that's feeling bad talking to you about this. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no, but it took me a long time to learn that because in my 20s, I was like, but I'm writing great scripts. Why is no one buying it? It's like nobody needs to buy this from me, That, but that shouldn't stop you from creating. And so there was a point in my 20s when I started spiraling, I stopped writing. Because I basically said, what's the point? No one's going to buy any of this. I'm never going to be a successful screenwriter. So what's the point of even doing it? And then that started my two-year trajectory of, like, drinking and doing drugs and stuff. So maybe
0: I need to have this two-year thing where I just go start (laughs) start blacking out again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I realized after the two-year period, I went to grad school uh, as a way to sort of save myself and then put myself further in debt. So I don't know if that was the right decision. But I extricated myself from the situation. But I realized... How bad
0: was it? Were you like, holy shit, I'm, things are getting dark. I'm waking up in puddles of my own vomit and...
1: Yeah, like driving to work and you're still drunk. Uh-huh. And you're like, it's Monday. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right.
1: And it wasn't every day, but it was enough that I was like, I am a waste of a human.
0: This is not sustainable.
1: It's unsustainable. My entire day consists of figuring out what I'm going to do tonight and then going out and the credit card bills, like maxing out my credit cards to go to stupid places and just living that life, which is such a waste of time. But I'm glad I did it because I had, I have it out of my system, but
0: the road to excess leads to the palace of wisdom. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I realized that my attitude was wrong for me to think I'm doing this for someone else to either give me permission or to give me the opportunity to take the next step or to give me money was not the right reason to be trying to create art. That's not you. And I remember in uh, undergrad, all of my professors saying, um, if you're in this for the money, get out now like leave school because it's such a long hard road that
0: good professors
1: yeah if that's what's sustaining you that's gonna run out really quickly yeah and you know one of my professors said i have a garage full of unproduced screenplays a garage yeah like i'm still doing it (laughs) how
0: many is that (laughs) (laughs) hundreds
1: (laughs) i have like 13 scripts that i had written and thinking like each one is genius why aren't the why am i not like the queen of indie films or whatever but it's like no but you, let's
0: think about who the like the king or the queen of indie because for some people that shit happens and you it were does thinking, happen why why for them and not for you
1: <laughs> i mean if i'm going to be real about it often it's family money and the time to be able to create and the time to get money to make a film. And I'm not that person. And so it took a lot of understanding on my part to realize I can still get there. It just won't be as quick. Right. And so to me, it's last man standing and it's always been last man standing and if i can endure and keep going and not lose sight of the fact that i have a point of view and i have stories that i want to tell that are worth hearing then i can keep going without getting that break early
0: in the career do you ever do you ever think to yourself everything's been said before you ever have that thought yeah. how do okay it seems like you're good psychologically <laughs> Tell me how to tell me how to like turn that one around for me,
1: I guess I don't know i yeah, okay, so for my first book, I wanted to write about the immigrant experience and like how many immigrant books have made you Pulitzers and stuff, so like what do I have to say about anything that's remotely new and so I thought about what's the question I'm trying to answer for myself about this, and then it became like how how much of our cultural identity is a part of our whole identity? And can you change that? And what does that do as a person? Uh, What does that do to a person? So then I was able to spin it in terms of like, well, then what's the story? And so I think when I approach projects, I am trying to answer a question for myself. And it might be that at the end of the project, I haven't been able to answer the question, but I've posed it and You know, turn it around and around and around. And so I think when you approach projects from like a bigger space rather than just speaking in screenwriting terms when I was young, because we went to USC, it was like, what's your, what's, what's the, uh, what's the pitch? And so you had to boil it down to an elevator pitch or two lines or whatever. That's fun. I love that. That's that's my favorite part. I was like (laughs) D (laughs) minus. Failing out of school Uh, Because I don't know how to do
0: that
1: Uh, So when I could move beyond that And realize like I can actually ask big questions About what our life Is supposed to be like And why things are so hard Then I can approach things in a new way Rather than having like I want to write a book about You know uh, White people problems in the suburbs How am I going to make this a new thing? But I looked at it like, I want to look at why some women feel sexually invisible and why that's a thing that happens to all women at a certain age and what that does to you psychologically. Well, when... no,
0: like, okay. See, I'm I'm 40 now. I just turned 40. Okay. And uh, I was I, half joking, talking about walking my dog. You met Walter when you yes. when you showed up. Adorable. He, yeah, he's an adorable little French bulldog. Which I sometimes forget how cute he is because. Um you know i'm busy with the young kids. Take
1: him for granted, take
0: him for granted. I go out for a walk I go for a walk with that dog. People are pulling over, yeah honking. people are getting up from a uh a cafe table <laughs> in the middle of a meal and like falling onto the sidewalk to play with him. Do you know what I'm saying like yes. he's like a rock star and uh not that I was ever fawned over or received like you know inordinate amounts of attention from people, but I've just been like oh, people don't even register me.
1: Yeah, I don't exist. I don't exist, Walter. It's
0: about the dog stealing
1: the show. And
0: is it because I'm just I'm just an old like like young women, you know? Because the young women yeah. love a French bulldog, yes. and they're just like, oh my god, he's so cute. And like, don't co- even
1: look at you. I always insane. what I
0: always say is, what about me? <laughs> or when they say, oh my god, he's so adorable, I'm always like, who me? And then they're like,
1: <sighs> <laughs> they give you the creepy scalp. <laughs> yeah, he's like, who's the creep with the dog?
0: <laughs> but you know that I mean that's just a function of getting older. You mean. I sort of accept it. I don't even know if it's necessarily uh I mean, yeah, there maybe there's some uh women who would look at me and be like, Oh, he's a good looking middle aged man, but like that's sort of the that's sort of the playground for uh the young, right? Yeah. That whole thing being looked upon and
1: Yeah, but if you're a woman who's always traded on her looks yeah. and suddenly they're gone. Or not even gone, but they're faded. I think that makes... That you could have, like, a psychological break about that.
0: I think about that with, like, uh, models. Like, I think about Kate Moss just as an example. Yeah. Because she's so beautiful still. I mean, she's all... You know, she's a beautiful woman, but she also, like, lived really hard. Right. And might still, for all I know. Right. But I think about, like, living that kind of lifestyle, doing tons of drugs, smoking cigarettes, waking up hungover, and then... You know, you get to be into your 40s and 50s and eventually like the bill comes due. It's just different.
1: Yeah, it's different. And
0: then like if you're not psychologically slash like spiritually um, ready for it, it could be very difficult.
1: I think so. And I
0: think, I mean, the same could be said for men who trade on their looks, though I guess maybe it's a bit of a different situation.
1: Well, but I think that you can look at a man and say he's so he's still dashing and handsome, and you know, look at how people talk about George Clooney versus a woman in her fifties in Hollywood.
0: I was just raving. I want to. I'm the exception. I was just raving about Charlotte Rampling on Twitter.
1: Oh, I did see that. Yes, yes, she's always been beautiful. She's That's got. True.
0: I mean, like with some people, George Clooney among them, just age beautifully. Right. Other people, Chuck Norris. Hey, you know, it's just like I think about it. Like, you, like I always say, like God, I, w- I I wish that I looked like one of these like Italian fishermen, like old, like oh yeah, they, you know if they age yeah. like beautifully, yeah. and like they just have like the little crinkle by the right. you know, and that's just maybe not in the cards, and sometimes people genetically, you know, they get older and it's not quite as uh, glorious.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that sucks. <laughs> it sucks. I think you know, and I was talking to my friend about this in terms of the of the invaders, the book that I wrote. Like, we're all all it points to is that we're all going to die. Sorry.
0: It's, it's, it's tough news. To it's accept. tough.
1: It's tough. And when you're looking at that in terms of like how you see yourself and how you're treated and how you're sort of cast off I mean think about in Hollywood too there's all these older people that used to be in movies who were like a big deal but now are just like an old person living at the back of an apartment building uh-huh. but they used to be somebody yeah. and nobody cares That's because right. they're like an old dodgy guy or you know an older woman but they lived amazing lives but they have no value in our society because we don't want to think about we
0: don't appreciate our our elders never the way that some cultures do no it's fucked up
1: yeah i mean uh, a friend of mine her grandma was a burlesque dancer uh and she had these amazing photos but when you see her on the street she's just like an older woman but she's lived and so she was working on a project with her to try to get these stories out but Think about if you just see people like this on the street, you don't care how, you know, what their story is or whatever. You don't think that there's something more to them. But it's like this person was a burlesque dancer in the 40s and 50s. Even the big stars. Even the big
0: stars. I mean, like there are some stars who have, like, I think some sort of like timeless appeal. Um, But even, even then, I mean, Charlie Chaplin I think of or, you know, some of these old movie stars, Barbara Stanwyck or, you know, they can maintain a a certain fan base, Lauren Bacall yeah um but you know a a lot of people I would bet like my daughter and her generation and you know my son like I I could imagine a day when they wouldn't even know who these people are I don't know who all the old movie stars of the day were I mean I probably know more than most because I have a film degree but right um it just goes
1: yeah and then think about like the second tier people who weren't the super 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 superstars like just starlets that are living in one bedroom apartments around LA right now
0: yeah. It's so sad. That's what I'm talking about. That <laughs> undercurrent <laughs> yeah. that undercurrent of sadness. But like there's something also beautiful about it. Yeah. Like wanting to be a part of um the myth making machine. Wanting to tell those stories. Wanting to be part of the dream factory. Like there's a romanticism to it that I totally respond to and respect. And yeah. even like in some regards revere. Like I think as crazy as it can be, as uh terrible uh as the uh, the behavior can sometimes be that it engenders yeah. in people, you know, who are pursuing it. Um, there's a beauty to the pursuit. There's a beauty to, uh, this place.
1: I mean, that's why I love film. You obviously love film. There's a mythology to it that is just, it's part, it's part of our culture It's part of America. It's part of this idea that, some girl could get off the bus from kansas and become a movie star you know be found and that you can be found you can be plucked out of obscurity and suddenly be someone and i think it all comes down to i think about this all the time this idea of everyone just wanting other people to know they exist i think I think that's why internet trolls are, you know, wreaking havoc online. But it's just this, like, inherent need for all of us to ex- exert the fact we exist. That's it. That's it.
0: Everybody, I mean, internet troll or not, uh, author, screenwriter, director, tweeter, yeah, podcaster. Yeah. We're all just being like, hey. <laughs> yeah. Going to die soon. Yeah. I was here.
1: I was here, yeah.
0: Made a little bit of noise, you know?
1: I and- just want you to know that I existed.
0: Maybe that's all I needed to say. Just tweet that and be done. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, let's guys. See this. Ya. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go actually live my life. Um, so you moved here from New York. I think last time we spoke, you were in New York and you were preparing to move back. Yeah. How How has it been for you? It sounds like it's been fine.
1: It's been good. Uh, you know, I. There was a point in when I was living in New York where I just got really depressed because I just felt so trapped and I was taking the subway every day and that just basically kills your life. Uh, it was always breaking down. Uh, you know, I, th- I say that after Sandy, I just couldn't handle it anymore. Um, you know, that was just so psychologically damaging to me to see half the city, you know, Manhattan had no lights. It just felt so apocalyptic and there were long gas lines and people were just losing it and people had lost their homes and it was just chaos and everything. Even our area in Williamsburg didn't lose power, but people were coming over from Manhattan on bikes and stuff and staying with us and sort of everyone felt like a refugee and I kind of was like this place is doomed and falling apart and I need to get out of here. And so
0: I can kind of feel like that about Los Angeles. Really? I mean, to a, maybe to a lesser extent, I can feel like that about the world. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but I think I, there was this feeling of being trapped. Like if something really terrible happens worse than this, we aren't getting out. And so I started having anxiety about this and getting depressed. And then because all the subways were flooded I don't think the subways have bounced back, so they're constantly breaking down. So it's all these, like, angry people waiting for subways that were never going to come, you know? And so I told my husband, like, we got to get out of here immediately. And I had um, a friend of mine does energy work. Like Reiki? Yeah, but hers, I think it's called Polarity. Okay. And I guess it's the same, like, touching you um, and... I had these visions of being in the desert and like big open sky. And at the end of it, she was like, you have to get out of here. I was like, yes, I do. I had
0: this done. I was talking about this on the show. Uh, My wife and I got a massage like a little bit after my son was born. So like in the throes of this sleep deprivation, this woman who was like like just a fantastic masseuse, like next level all star masseuse. She just knows what she's doing. Yeah. And also did all this Reiki at the end where she's like the laying of the hands and like both of us cried. Like you I was to like, release all of that. I was like, what the fuck? Like, I'm, you <laughs> know, because I'm not a weepy. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to show emotion, but I was like, that was not what I was expecting.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And she had seen the visions I was having.
0: How do they do that?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think she's extraordinarily special. I think she has... And I believe in all of this stuff. Like, I think that she was able to sort of enter into what I was seeing and guide me a little bit. And so it became abundantly clear then that I needed to get the fuck out as soon as possible. And so we came here, and it was... was, You know, we live by Griffith Park, so we're constantly hiking up there. And just the feeling of being able to see... As far as possible from the top of the mountain uh-huh. already made me feel more calm. Yeah, and I go up there at night sometimes. And I've puts, seen your tweet yeah, photos. Yeah,
0: it just puts you're not everything. scared of that. You're not scared of that mountain line. No, you don't give it. What it N, what's it called? What's it called? P twenty two. P twenty two. Yeah,
1: I. It gives you such a perspective on everything. First, I think it's a whole other world there at night because there's other people up there at night, and it's fun because. There will be people on bikes with lights and stuff riding around, and then there are hikers up there, and it's just this other ecosystem. That it's is... the
0: biggest city park in the country. Yeah, it's huge.
1: It's huge, and a friend of mine takes me on all these side trails and stuff, and you just feel like you you're able to have perspective on the city. You're able to see like where you belong in you know in this grid and um I think it's so important and I and I feel like in New York I wasn't able to get that perspective ever. So that and I started doing T M and I think you have the ability to Did you pay? I didn't go through the center. I had a like a guru who does it on her own.
0: And just gave you a mantra. Yeah. Okay. But,
1: So, you pay her one-time fee, which is much less than the center, and then you take five days with her where you work on the mantra together, and then every couple weeks she would see you.
0: And TM is Transcendental Meditation. Yeah. So, you're you're chanting uh, the mantra silently in your mind. You have a special individual mantra that has some meaning, or is it just like a nonsense word that's unique to you?
1: I don't know. I assume it's not a nonsense word, but... uh, I haven't thought to look it up.
0: Okay. And you can't share it with anybody. That's the no, thing. About it. You, can't you can't tell people share. what your mantra is. So
1: I don't know. Maybe we all have the same mantra. <laughs> yeah, right. It's all like the big joke of TM. <laughs> ha, ha ha. Yeah.
0: My mantra is ha ha. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so has it helped you?
1: It has. I mean- How long I, have you been doing it? Uh, a year.
0: I meditate twice a day too. I do two, two 20 minute sessions, but I don't yeah. do TM. Oh, you don't? No. But I mean, I, I mean, I'm using mantra- but it's just like inhale, exhale.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Calm, ease. Like I just use these words, and I okay. just like have a cycle of them, and I go back. You know, and yeah. I, and I, ha- you know, if I lose it, then I just start over, and it, it's not, an, it's not any different, really.
1: No, it, that's concentrating on the breath, whereas TM concentrates on the mantra. But right. or you don't even concentrate. It's
0: you just say it. Silently. Yeah,
1: it's the my guru says it's the easy ride. You don't have to like. You know, even when I was freaking out early on saying like, well, I'm having all these thoughts when I'm supposed to be ha- saying the mantra. And she's like, chill out. It's fine. Yeah, that's, the, that's, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's it.
0: That's sort of what, it, that's sort of what meditation is. Like <laughs> and I was in, like,
1: I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. She's like, no.
0: That's the way it goes. And you, some days are better than others.
1: Yeah, some days I go really deep and I can't believe it's I've gone over time. And I'm like, oh, my God, that was amazing. And some days I open my eye. A little bit. And I'm like three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> what is this going to be over? Right. <laughs>
0: um. That's cool. Yeah. No. I do that. I've been doing it for a little over three years. Three and a half years.
1: I just that, feel like in LA, you have time to fix yourself.
0: I hope so. I think that like, to me, to me, it's like this is something I should be doing. Like, whatever it happens to be, like that. That part of myself needs to be taken care of just like i need to brush my teeth yeah like yeah. why would i not do something on a daily basis just to like have a moment
1: for yourself
0: and then and then it feel like if i feel better like yeah. i i personally like i notice it a hundred percent i notice when i don't do it yeah which is maybe even more telling but it's like that's the way i make sense of it like it's like brushing your teeth you got to do that
1: yeah i can tell my anxiety is much higher when i don't do it right And everything is falling, you know, everything's crashing and burning. We can take 40 minutes a day.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And the thing, too, is that, like, it sounds like a lot, you know, but it's really like 20-minute pocket. You spend so, like, you spend 20 minutes easily dicking around on the internet. Yeah. Like, you just lose those, you lose 40 minutes of dicking around time, and you just sit there. And, uh, you know, you, you can get a little antsy, and it can be a little bit uncomfortable if you start to, like, be confronted with whatever anxieties or weird thoughts you might be having or loops or imaginary arguments or all the things that we do in our head. But uh, eventually you settle down.
1: Yeah. And I think you need, especially, it's the first thing I do in the morning. And so I sort of like a palate cleanser and I meditate with crystals too, which is... What's that mean? So... There, I started going on this crystal meditation in Silver Lake, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, and <laughs> this amazing uh, crystal meditation uh, woman, her name's Jessica Snow. She's just like so full of love and light and just like, how are you real? Uh, and she just is the kindest person ever. And she wants everyone to just. What's her name? Jessica Snow. And she has a website, okay. And uh, it's fifteen bucks through Spellbound Sky, which is this crystal shop. I wrote about it for Refinery Twenty Nine because I so believe in it. But you know, they give you a crystal, and uh, she explains what the crystal, like the powers of the crystal, are. What
0: are the powers of the crystal?
1: Well, it depends on the crystal. But you know, I've been uh, meditating with malachite lately in the mornings, and that's like. For... What do you mean
0: with? Is it in your hand Yeah,
1: so you hold it. Like
0: in your little cup, you cup yeah, your hands. Yeah, cup it, yeah. and
1: then I make like I get under a blanket, and I'm like so LA under <laughs> my blanket. <laughs> this is great. Cupping a crystal and doing TM and just it, you know.
0: By the way, this is for people listening who might not be, you know, in Los Angeles or anywhere like Los <laughs> just Angeles. Everybody, this does is it. totally normal. <laughs> this is what it's like out here. Come on out.
1: At least on the east side. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. <laughs>
0: So for like an Echo Park, everyone's got yeah. a crystal.
1: <laughs> I have so many crystals on my writing desk. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Malachite is basically for like good luck or not just money, but you know, for for projects to come to fruition and while I'm waiting on stuff. Why
0: is Malachite that one? I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. Do you believe it?
1: I do believe it. I'm my it.
0: skeptical alarm bell is going off.
1: You know, there's certain properties of certain crystals. I think that some people probably in, you know, crystal shops and vacation towns will say, like, take up this malachite and you'll, like, get rich. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, uh, essentially putting positive intentions into the air. And so maybe you use it through this crystal – As a way to ground yourself and say, like, my intention now is for me to have the self-confidence to finish this very difficult project or something, you know. And so you're, you're, you're taking 20 minutes to basically tell yourself you can do it and you're holding this crystal. And I think, look, often I think all this kind of stuff is just like a placebo pill too. It's
0: the hooga booga.
1: It is. But whatever works. Right. You know. And so...
0: But see, I, okay, crystals I would say could potentially be meditation. I don't. Th- I think meditation is legit. Yeah. In ways that, like this other stuff, I you know, I, I, I can make sense of it rationally more easily. Okay. Do You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying the crystals aren't real. They could be. Right. I'm open, but I'm just saying that like meditation in terms of, um, uh, so hard to talk about this stuff without sounding. uh Convoluted or, or tripping over your words, but if meditation is is a kind of energy, and it's the energy of just being aware of what's going on, yeah. Uh, or mindfulness is a kind of energy, is what I'm saying, yeah. And it's the energy of just knowing what is going on in your mind, all around you, in the moment, right? Okay, you with me? Yes, I'm with you. <laughs> then meditation is to basically make yourself like a uh, a power plant yeah generating that energy so then think cultivating
1: crystals it. crystals come from the earth and uh-huh. they have different energies based on where they come from yes and so they could be a conductor like copper or pyrite or something like that and so you're just increasing that energy through these crystals
0: i want people listening if you could please send me crystals I want to put crystals in my garage. You
1: know what? Sometimes I mail my friends crystals when they're going through a hard time. I'll think like what crystal could help them because so Jessica Snow's meditation is a bit different because she does a guided meditation. Okay. So say uh, there was one meditation that was rose quartz, which is like love, loving yourself, forgiving yourself for stuff. And so she took us through a guided meditation where she was asking us to access memories of our like she would take us into a field and say now think about like your happiest moment or whatever and so you are Wait, she
0: took you into a field metaphorically metaphorically okay, yeah.
1: yeah she's she's incredible so you're having as m- and me as a visual person already i think i have an easy time at it my husband who isn't very visual doesn't do well in guided meditation because he just can't like pull up those visions as easily. And other people I know have had problems too, but it works for me because suddenly I'm feeling feelings I haven't felt in a really long time or, um, memories are popping into my head that I haven't accessed in forever. You know what I mean? So I think, To me, the brain is really interesting because you are so cluttered with so much new stuff all the time that there's these memories that you never access. That If someone says something, suddenly you're back somewhere that you had completely forgotten about. And so what does that do to you? Like what flood of feelings comes from that? Uh, And so I think it's all beneficial because it's all asking you to be more present in your life and be more present in your life with other people and be more conscious of how you behave and how you act. And just essentially like being a decent human being who actually gives a shit about other people is how I take all of this.
0: Okay. I'm I'm totally with you. Okay. Um, another way that I'm, uh, I think I analogize it if that's the right, that's the right word, I think. But, um, Because there's a part of me that can be like, God, I got to have my 20 minutes in the morning and I got to have my 20 minutes in the evening. I have young kids. Right. And I can sometimes think, oh, I'm being selfish. Right. My wife's out there like dealing with my screaming children while like I have my headphones on. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But I think when you talk about giving a shit about other people, when you talk about being your best self, not only for yourself, but for those around you on a daily basis, uh, the analogy that I use is it's like when you're on an airplane. And they're doing the safety demonstration and they're like showing you the little like, uh, you know, Tupperware cup with the Uh rubber band. It's like it gives you the oxygen. It's like help yourself first before you give your kids the oxygen. Yeah. And that's that's kind of how I think about it. Like, you know, this time that I'm taking, I guess you could argue I could be spending out there. But I got to like give myself a bit of oxygen so that I can come out and not be frazzled and not be, be you know, short tempered. It really makes an impact with me. It does. And and that doesn't mean that I'm perfect, but I catch myself much more quickly. And if I do, you know, get wobbly or whatever, I tend to be able to reel myself back in uh, faster. Yeah. So it's like you kind of do have to take some time. And if your life is so busy or like it sounds like that was kind of maybe the situation in New York um, where you're you're not able to breathe. Yeah. Then it's going to be difficult to be happy and to be able to make other people happy.
1: Yeah. I was completely depleted in so many ways. And so I was short tempered and just didn't have anything and didn't care about anything. And so here I thought like, how am I going to rebuild myself? Not only, you know, to be a better human, but just to be creative again and like explore things and be excited about things again. You know, I think when you're constantly just trying to hustle you forget why you're doing it. That's
0: where I'm at. I need to, I'm in a bad space. I need to get back. I think I'm, par- I'm just really fucking tired. But.
1: You're tired. You need some crystals. You're tired. I need some crystals and
0: I need my son to sleep more than three hours at a shot and I'll be back. Um, it's all part of the fun. I'm not complaining. Uh, I'm complaining a little bit. It's fine. Um, it's reasonable. Your tattoo on your right arm. I want to try to describe this. It's a beautiful woman. Thank you. With uh, an ornate Flowered, head. butterflies, butterflies, yeah, in her hair, yeah, and it's on your right shoulder. What, what, what's that all about?
1: Uh My friend Miles Carr is a really amazing tattoo artist in Brooklyn, and I had this idea that I just wanted a woman with butterflies for hair, like this, just like beautiful youth. Um, and I was gonna do my other arm, maybe soon, as sort of like an older woman with butterflies over her face because they're they're beautiful but they're also um uh what's the word they e- eat decay you know
0: butterflies eat decay yeah okay
1: they're 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 beautiful but they like eat shit do they? they eat decay yeah i didn't
0: know butterflies ate shit yeah ladies and gentlemen <laughs> you heard it here first <laughs> All right. That makes me think differently about butterflies. I like knowing stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And I have crystals. He did
0: Oh, look at that. You even yeah. have a crystals tattoo.
1: I have crystals tattoos.
0: See, I'm you I I'm very susceptible to anything new age, healing, <laughs> health trends. Like you know, like the whole like have a glass of red wine every day. Like anything right. like that, like I'll latch on to. So yeah. now I'm I give me a week or two. <laughs> I'm gonna be deep into crystals. You'll
1: feel a difference. Okay. Even just Kind of like your mind is is like I feel a little I feel safe or like I know that 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 it's there to help me and that maybe it's emanating some kind even of if it's energy it's just like
0: some sort of like placebo talisman That's what saying. even yeah. if it is like it's a it's a concrete object it's a physical object that you can hold that is associated with a certain positive mind state or kind of energy
1: yeah people have worry stones like we need i think that we need tactile objects to either put you know negative energy into to sort of just get it out or just to have this hope uh that it's doing something yeah. I mean it's with everything it's what is the basis of religion is that we hope something can help us right uh so you know I'm not a crazy new ager or anything I, ju- I draw the line but to me it's like why not A they're they're uh I I believe in the energy of them and B they're beautiful to look at so who's losing here Right,
0: <laughs> right. and they're, they're not that expensive No right? they're
1: not expensive yeah. and you just It's
0: not cost prohibitive to exactly. have a set of crystals yeah. in your home Yeah
1: and of course you know me being me I all my girlfriends now have crystals and we kind of just like have our crystals and we believe they work and we go to coven we are yeah 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 but we also like check in with each other all the time and we also say like how are you doing i feel like maybe things aren't good for you so i'm gonna think about you and send you good feelings will you do that
0: for me can you tell the coven to whip up some crystal energy for me (laughs)
1: <laughs> but really, like, how often do you sit there and say, "I want to make sure everyone's okay," so I'm going to just do check-ins to make sure they're okay? And I think you that mean I've...
0: you mean uh, actually like calling them, or yeah, you... okay,
1: yeah. I'll say, you know, I haven't heard from you in a while. Is everything okay? And I think that's another thing that we don't do enough.
0: I know the at the the slow atrophying of friendships. As you get older yeah. and busier
1: yeah.
0: it's stressful. Yeah. It bothers me. Yeah. There's a part of me like living in Los Angeles in a big city. Um, I wish I had a better sense of community, of friendship. Uh, I have friends. I have lots of friends. And I know a lot of people in this town and I love them. But I don't, because of the logistics even of trying right. to get together. Right. There's a part of me that longs for like a very small really groovy town
1: where you open your garage and <laughs> yeah. have, like a um, potluck
0: i just yeah and yeah. everybody just kind of comes over and it's easy yeah but then you know i've lived in that town i lived in boulder and i remember being like i got to get somewhere where there's shit going on yeah you know i was also like 23 so
1: i think that's it's the push pull i mean i remember when i was little in texas we lived in a. Uh, Air Force community. And, I remember this now. Yeah. yeah. And everybody was friends. And on Sundays in the summer, we had potlucks in people's garages. And, and you used kids to go play. Rampant. Yeah. yeah. And we rode bikes. And it was like the sandlot, you know? Uh, and so that there is this nostalgia of I want to live like that. But then I don't think I do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, at least not for like maybe for a summer or something.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe like a summer. Summers in Maine in a small ah. town with like parades. Yes. Right. Yes, Americana, <laughs> Americana,
0: and the lake. Yeah, like on Golden Pond kind of. Yeah, thing. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Crystals on the lake.
1: So many crystals <laughs> in my boat, <laughs> paddling around.
0: Like I've always, I've always, uh, like, uh, you know, like, um, what's it called, crew? Yeah. I want to do that. I've always, like, somehow, if I deal, like, I want to be on a lake just, like, rowing.
1: What about just kayaking?
0: That that That's what I mean. Okay. <laughs> but I, I want it to be, like, you know, exercise. Like, you get up, you know, those like, in, every once in a while in a movie, there'll be somebody who, like, gets up in the morning and they're, like...
1: Yeah, there's still fog on and the water. there's, like, yeah, there's, like, mist on the water. There's been a murder. Yes.
0: <laughs> I want that without the murder. If I could somehow arrange it. Um, so, I guess, like, last note. We'll strike a thematic note. Um... Because I know you probably got to get back to work. I should say to people uh, that Carolina was nice enough. And I guess your boss was nice enough to let you sneak away. Yeah, she's awesome. But, you know, uh, with the invaders, like one of the themes, I think, and one of the themes like uh, with your tattoos and one of the themes of Los Angeles, it seems to just kind of course its way through uh, your existence. Maybe everybody's existence is this dynamic between, um, you know, youth and beauty and old age and death and the dissipation, uh, of all those things. Um, when you set out to write, uh, you know, the invaders, you talked about, um, you know, women who feel invisible sexually or is that right? Yeah. 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 Um, living in a place like Los Angeles, is it more intense here? Does that feeling, um, Intensify in a place that places such a premium on physical beauty, and is such a physically beautiful city. I mean, I know it's got its ugly sections, but one of the things about Los Angeles that I think in some ways gets undersold is just how stunning the landscape is.
1: Yeah, I, it's funny, especially working in Beverly Hills. So I'll go out at lunch and I'll see uh, immense beauty, and you know, thin, beautiful women, and everyone's wealthy and whatever. But
0: also great-looking men.
1: Yeah, great-looking men. Everybody just on point.
0: Looking good. Yeah. Fashion. Yeah. The right handbag. Took the time this morning. Yes.
1: Um, But I also see uh, the fight to stay young really obviously in the way women dress and just the amount of plastic surgery that I see.
0: Makes me sad.
1: It is because... It's like you are beautiful no matter what. You don't have to wear. That was
0: almost a Christina Aguilera song. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to belt that lyric.
1: You don't have to wear a tiny, tiny mini dress that a 20-year-old would wear or like heels you can't walk in. Who are you doing this for? And just Why do you think you need to do this? It's okay. I just want to like run up to people and be like, it's okay.
0: Here's it's, a crystal. It's okay. <laughs> you don't have to do this. I know. I feel, um, I mean, like the the joke that I always make about it is that if I don't notice your plastic surgery, I love it. You yeah. look great. My God. <laughs> you know, you look like you're you like 20 years younger than you should be. But uh, when I see people who noticeably have altered themselves, I can't help but feel sad. Yeah. And especially because I feel like much like tattoos, um, you know, not that tattoos are the same in terms of... Uh, you know, being a toxic behavior or potentially a toxic behavior, but I think it's addictive. Nobody yeah. ever gets just one. Right. So you get a procedure and it's like, oh my God, like oh the wrinkles went away or right. oh my God, they lipoed out like, you know, however many pounds of fat. And then I think the itch is to go back. Yeah. You know, and be like, oh no, then I'll do this too and I'll do this. And then suddenly you're the cat woman or the cat man and you have like this crazy looking face. And to me, um that is so like enormously sad. And it's sad in a a not dissimilar way to when I see, like, an anorexic person in public. I just want to cry. I
1: know. I've seen three very anorexic women in Beverly Hills, and once I gasped and then felt terrible about gasping.
0: But you're just like, oh, my God, this person's going to die. Like, you know, you want to just feed them.
1: (laughs) Right. But someone somewhere has convinced them they need to do this. And I think anorexia is a mental illness, but I, you know, the doctors who perform the plastic surgery have to stay in business. Yeah. It's in their best interest to think there's something wrong with you. Well, and no, I there's think, a big
0: billboard on La Cienega that says, uh, for a plastic surgeon, it says, fall in love with yourself again.
1: So sick. Or how about the mommy deals to get a tummy tuck? There's like big billboards everywhere being like, get the mommy Mommy treatment. Have your baby and get a tummy tuck immediately.
0: I have to tell this to my wife. Yeah, <laughs>
1: just like no, this idea. There's always something wrong with you, right? And when you start at that deficit every day, it's just like
0: exhausting. It's
1: exhausting. How can you go? How can you move forward every day knowing there's so many things wrong with me?
0: Right. I love that's a thing. Like uh, to go back to Charlotte Rampling. Like, not only is she a beautiful human being, she lucked out in the genetic lottery, but there's something very elegant about the way she carries herself. And I don't know. It could be totally just a, a an illusion based yeah. on, like, her cinema um, persona or whatever. But uh, she just seems like somebody who's comfortable in her own skin. She doesn't... She seems authentic.
1: Yeah. And she has this charisma of, like, she really does not care what anybody thinks of yeah. her. Yeah.
0: And she's old and she's yeah. fine to be old. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? She's fine at whatever age she's at. And, right. like, this is, like, what you see is what you get. Yeah. Um, and you know there are people I think who manage to age that way, and I hope I can be one of them, yeah, you know, as opposed to somebody who's constantly looking back or grasping for something. Um, it would the be nice they were and, and also, um, I think maybe there's a component of that could potentially be or would seem to have to be uh, a certain acceptance of mortality.
1: Yeah, it all comes back it to death. It all comes back to death. Yeah. I
0: mean, because if you're if you're fighting so hard to look young, you know, I think maybe superficially it's like, oh, you want to be attractive and you don't want to lose your youth and you want to be uh, looked at. And right. you don't want to be invisible sexually, but what you really don't want to do is die.
1: Right. You don't want to look like you're 70 because that'll make you realize it's close.
0: It's close. All right. So what happens when we die? Yeah. <laughs>
1: I oh, wow. No idea. I think that we just go into, like, universal consciousness in the air. I think we just all become stardust.
0: All right. Let's leave it there. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's, let's, like, sound a profound note and then just drop the mic. Like <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Carolina, it's such a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for coming over in the middle of your work day. And uh, congratulations on The Invaders, uh, on the movie. What's the movie called?
1: Uh Coming out AWOL, which I co-wrote. AWOL. Wall. Shovel.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye out for it, and best of luck in everything, and uh, please send me some crystals.
1: I will. <laughs> All right. Thanks.
0: <laughs> All right, guys. There you go. That is Karolina Vatslaviak. Wasn't that great? The crystals? Go get her novel. It's called The Invaders. It's available now from Reagan Arts in a fine hardcover edition. It's also available as an e-book. And uh as an audiobook. You can find Carolina online at carolinavatslaviak.com. Don't ask me to spell it, just figure it out. Google the Invaders. You know what I'm you know how to do it, right? You know how to use the Google. You can also find her on Twitter where her handle is at Believe Carolina with a K. At Believe Carolina. This is her second time on the program, incidentally. And if you you want to listen to my first conversation with Carolina, that, ha- that happened back in episode 233, which you can listen to via Other People Premium if you sign up for a, a subscription or if you're a current subscriber. Thank you to Kill Rockstars for the music. As always, be sure to check out killrockstars.com. Don't forget about that app, the Other People app, the free official Other People app, the official app of this podcast. It's free. It's available wherever you get your apps. I'm going to emphatically plug the app. I'm in the uh, sleep deprivation zone Not to keep harping on this But I'm just I want to let you know I want to keep you posted On where I am uh, Mentally Slash spiritually With regard to this I'm I'm now like Putting weird things In weird places Like I'm Put the toothpaste In the fridge Bumping into things Injuring myself Can't handle uh, Any kind of alcohol at all Forgetting people's names Who I've known for years It's awesome That's where I'm at Please remember that Bella Bartok died of leukemia and that Baudelaire often wore pink gloves. Thank you once again to Karolina Václavíac. Uh Go get The Invaders. Support this author. Get the, get the Invaders. Buy it. Give it to a friend. Buy two copies. Thanks to you guys for listening. I appreciate that. Do you know that I appreciate that? I really appreciate that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for spreading the word on the social media, telling friends about the show. Thanks for sending email and letting me know your thoughts, even when you're... Uh, telling me things like, uh, I'm, uh, glorifying drug abuse and, uh, trying to crowdsource, you know, crowdsource positive energy in a selfish way, (laughs) all of which could be true. I don't fucking know. Okay. Doing the best I can. I could be wrong. Maybe I did. Everybody's a hypocrite, right? It's impossible. I'm trying to be an honest broker here. I'll talk to you soon. I'm really, I, seriously though did I, do I, I'm not, I just was saying Send some positive thoughts Just send some positive thoughts Please, as we go into childbirth As my wife goes into labor Don't do drugs Like maybe, like once a year I think like once a year or twice a year To like clean the pipes In a very safe, maybe supervised way If you did uh, some mushrooms I could see that being part of a healthy Human regimen smoke a little pot once or twice a month. I think that's defensible. I'm not saying I do it. I'm not saying I would want my children to do it. I'm saying it's defensible. And certainly healthier than drinking a bunch of alcohol or uh, taking a bunch of uh, like prescription opiates or whatever the fuck. My God, I talk about drugs a lot on this show. <laughs> it's an issue for you know america for the world trying to cover up that suffering what are we going to do with that suffering let's just medicate it medicate it until it goes away medicate the suffering